Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Online Church at First Baptist Burleson. We're grateful that you join in with us today. Um, we have, I know some of you guys are on Facebook Live uh, because I'm watching you. Check in. Some of you are on our website at firstburleson.org slash live. Uh, and so different platforms for you to be able to join us in worship this morning. So, so grateful that you are. Uh, and this is so cool. I mean, you have opportunity to post comments, uh, prayer needs on both platforms, uh, any other needs that you might have, words of encouragement. And so I know that usually when you're here, you're amening and say that and all the time. So uh, just write it, right? You can't be here to say it. I mean, you can say it at your house or wherever, that's cool, but write it so I can see it. And that just kind of be a, a neat thing to connect us together uh, also, right? So glad you're here. In fact, I've heard some of you guys uh, tell me about your morning worship now. I've heard about people having biscuits and gravy. And uh, what I would say to that is, where's mine, right? Feel free to, to bless the, the staff and bring some of that breakfast over uh, so we can enjoy that too. Um, just leave it at the door. We'll disinfect it when we get it. But uh, no, just grateful to be able to connect in with you guys uh, and to, to be able to respond online and see you. I've uh, got some folks here. Robin's here. Thank you for joining us. Aaron, good to see you. Penny, where'd he go? Debbie, Cooper's with us. Catherine, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, the Christians are with us. The non-Christians are with us. Uh, so just a shout out to everybody. That's, that's funny. Yeah, it's a Christian family. Clayton's here. Donna, Brad, good to see everybody. All right, David and Cindy. Yeah, Denise. Hey, here's somebody from Puerto Rico. Hola, buenos dias. All right, so man, we're, we're going like global with this thing. So I'm glad that you're here and joining in. And please uh, contact us, let us know. Uh, write your statements, encouragements, uh, prayer requests, any need that you have. Uh, so we've got people answering those as you uh, uh, give them so we can respond. But yeah, just kind of, if you don't mind, share those Sunday mor uh, this morning and I'll kind of take a look at them as, as I go along and be encouraged. All right. Well, hey, you know, obviously this whole pandemic thing has been on everybody's mind. It's, it's a worldwide focus as we deal with this. And that's what interests, interests me about a crisis is how unifying it can actually be. We're definitely of one mind. Uh, as the church, as the world, focusing on how do we persevere through this? How do we endure this? How do we come out of this? So in some sense, it has been unifying, even though we're encouraged to be separate. But uh, again, that we stay connected is, is so vital. So I've just been thinking a lot about this from a pastor standpoint, from a sermon standpoint, just as we communicate and the content that we're putting out. And so many people trying to be encouraging uh, from a positive perspective, looking at this and, and being hopeful. I love all the funny stuff people have been putting out. I mean, definitely seen a rise in creativity of people trying to be encouraging and trying to communicate in a positive manner. But we're also realistic. We talk a lot about, hey, if you're struggling, if you're having a bad day, if it's just becoming overwhelming for you, then you need to reach out. You don't have to do this on your own. You know, we've got a promises ministry. If you need food, we can help provide that. You, you need money. Some of us are losing jobs. We may have trouble paying bills or whatever. If we are able to help, we want to help. We have a counseling center that you can call and, and talk to someone, talk to, talk to a licensed professional counselor. We have church members and staff and people calling our church members just to check in, see how you're doing. Maybe you just need somebody to talk to, right? So there's all kinds of things to be realistic. Hey, we need help dealing with this. But just kind of dealing with this personally, thinking about it, from what perspective do we address this? And it's, it's a 
perspective, it's a platform of victory, right? We are warriors. I love that image, just we are a warrior in this. In fact, I was reading yesterday in Ephesians 6 where Paul's talking about the armor of God. And you know that passage, he breaks down from the helmet down to the shoes of what they represent and what they're used for. And he also says we have the, the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith, which are offensive weapons to be used in the battle. It's not all defensive, we just stand back and take this. We're actually warriors fighting with, with weapons of victory in this battle. And so as Paul describes it, these are to help protect us against the fiery darts of the evil one. And so we, we typically talk about that passage in regard to sin and how Satan tries to trip us up. But it definitely applies to now because one of Satan's greatest weapons, I believe, is discouragement. If he can get a Christ follower discouraged and living like we're victims rather than victors, then he can stop us from advancing. He can steal our joy and rob our hope during those times. And so this is something I want you to battle against. Battle against this discouragement. Battle against this becoming depressed over all of this. Yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff, and this is a bad thing, no doubt about it. We don't minimize that, but God is greater. I mean, God's for us. Who can be against us? Not, certainly not some little virus. So we come from a platform of strength. That's what I want to encourage you today, this morning, as, as we look at this story about the Samaritan, because God has placed us in this place during this time for the purpose of victory. He has made us victorious. Now, Christians will lose their jobs. Christians will be stressed out. Christians will be anxious. Christians will die from this. But even in death, we're victorious, right? We're not afraid of death as Christians. So we're not afraid of the virus. We're not afraid of the implications. We're, we're concerned and we focus on them, we deal with them, but it doesn't create fear in our lives that debilitates us. And so I want to encourage that today just to, to change that mindset and that perspective. This, there are so many good things going on. This is a time to exhibit our hope, to exhibit our strength, because the Spirit of God was, is within us. Therefore, we are strong, right? I mean, our weaknesses, He is strong. So He has made us strong. Last week, I was at a, it was actually a, a photo shoot. There was a, a banquet for a recovery resource that I was supposed to be doing the prayer, but obviously we can't meet together. So instead, they shot it on video and we're playing it. There's a green screen and everything, kind of like we were actually there. And so I was waiting my turn. Robin was there with me, waiting my turn to go in in front of the camera. And a lady came out. She actually happened to be the chair of the board there for resource recovery. And so she stepped in and said, uh, hey, who are you? And I told her, and she introduced herself and said who I was. I said, oh, yeah, you're, you're here to pray. She knew I was a pastor, and we talked a little bit. And then she said something that kind of caught me off guard. She said, can I just pray for you and your wife? And to be honest, you know, as ministers, we're typically asking that question of folks. We don't always get it in return a lot. Now, we have recently in the, in the past few weeks a lot and appreciative of that. But that was just kind of a kind of caught me off guard. And so she prayed over me. And, I, and Robin, and I was reminded of just how much that means. I was just kind of overwhelmed in that moment of hearing someone pray out loud for me, just reminding of the power of praying for one another. And so I, I was thinking about that, and she was telling me that that's something she started doing. When she's in the grocery store, anywhere there's people around, even though distanced, if she encounters someone, she'll just say, hey, you know, what's your name? And can I pray for you? She said, you'd be amazed. People say, yes, please. Please pray for me. Whether they're believers or not, 
People are open to prayer. People are open to the gospel. People are open to people caring for them right now. This is something we've prayed for as a church, right? We've just been through this series, Broken Before Breakthrough. I believe God has given us a breakthrough. The whole world is sensitive to their need to pray. Whether they believe in God or not, they're open to someone pray for them. This is a huge opportunity for us to share the gospel, to be the gospel in people's lives. You know, whether it's somebody coming to take your food to the curbside, someone delivering to your house, someone you encounter in the line six feet apart at Lowe's, why not just say, hey, I'm Ronnie. What's your name? Do you mind if I pray for you? And maybe you don't feel comfortable praying right there in the moment, or maybe you don't have time to pray in the moment, but you can pray for them later. Man, what a great opportunity for us to be the church. I found this shirt online. It says, the church has left the building. And I wanted to get that, especially for this message, because it is, it is so true. And we know the building's not the church. The people are the church. So the church is where you are, right? And so we get to be out. I know I've heard stories back in, at First Burleson years ago and other churches that have taken a Sunday morning off. Rather than meeting together, they go out into the community and then do acts of service, acts of kindness. Well, man, we have that opportunity every day now to be the church. We're out in the community. We're walking. We're getting exercise. We're encountering people. What a great opportunity for us to be positive, but to be positive with the gospel. This is a huge time for us to evangelize the world, to let them know why we're hopeful, why we have joy, why we're not scared because of this, right? So I just see us as a platform of strength and a platform of encouragement because we believe in Christ. And because of that, we need to have that posture and that attitude. And so I was just thinking about all that preparing for this message today because I want to talk to you this morning about how should a Christian respond in a global crisis. Never thought I'd be preaching this kind of a message but I want to take us to a very familiar story. It's Luke chapter 10. It's the story of the Good Samaritan beginning in verse 25. A familiar story to all of us. We, we learned it as children but the, the principles here greatly apply to what we're going through today what the church is going through, what the world is going through, and how should we respond? Again, I know we have weak moments and bad days, but overall, the overwhelming perspective should be that of strength. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open to Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25 through 37. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen uh, right there where you are. Okay, so Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. This is how Luke records it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he'd passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. 
Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, then go and do likewise. So here's the scene. Jesus is teaching. And all of a sudden, out of the crowd, a man stands up and interrupts Jesus. He's an attorney. He's a lawyer. And he asked a very piercing question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we don't know if this man was truly seeking an answer or trying to trap Jesus. But Jesus, being the master of not falling into traps, did what he often does, and he turns the question around. He answers the question with a question, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I hate it when people do that. If I ask him a question, I want an answer. I don't need another question. But Jesus does that, and he does it to reorient the conversation. Rather than just focusing on the man's question, he wants to focus on a global principle, a global answer for all to hear. And so he does that, and he asks the man this question. What does the law say? Right, the man's an attorney, he's a lawyer, he studies the law of God. He'll know the answer to this. So he asks him, according to who he is, what does the law say? Now, Jesus, in this moment, he honors the law. It is holy and righteous. And so the lawyer responds with two passages from the Torah. The first one is Deuteronomy 6, 4, which we know as the great Shema. And this is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The second statement comes from Leviticus 19.18, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you've probably heard and, and seen before where devout Jews wear these things called phylacteries. And they're actually wooden boxes with leather straps. And they put them on their wrists and they strap them on their forehead. And inside the box, there's a tiny scroll where the Shema, Hero Israel, is written on it. And it's done as a reminder. It's done as a teaching tool. There's also a thing called a mezuzah, which is kind of a cylinder on the inside of their doorpost. So as the family leaves the house going out for the day, they're to touch that. Again, just another reminder of the command. In fact, this is a command that if you remember Mark 12, when someone asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He refers to the Shema, love the Lord your God with all you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus su supports this idea. And so devout Jews wore this as a reminder of what is important. And he also understood the importance of loving neighbors. So if you love God, you love neighbors. We talk about that all the time. We love God, so we love people. Loving God enables us to love people. One of the demonstrations that we love God is by loving each other. And so Jesus directs the man to this statement about the law. And if you've read Deuteronomy 6, the, the law goes on to tell parents that you're to teach the truths to your children when you get up and when you lie down and when you eat. In other words, immerse them in this. That's just a great lesson and a great reminder. You know, one of the things that's happened for parents with school-age children, they've all become homeschool children. And many parents have become homeschool teachers. So I've seen a lot of posts on helping parents deal with having their kids at home and educating their children. I just want to remind you, as Christian parents, we also have the responsibility of discipling our children. What a great opportunity as you teach them math and, and reading and English and all those other courses. Be sure you're teaching them the Bible. Take this opportunity to disciple your children as, as the Bible reminds us is our responsibility in spiritual matters. So Jesus goes on to encounter this man and deal with this question. He asks him the question. The man answers correctly. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Now go do this and you will live. We'll do what? 
will keep the law and keep it perfectly. So here's the standard, Jesus says, all right, you know the law, now you have to do the law. If you want to live, you have to be perfect. Well, this lawyer, as is, is everyone listening, realized at that moment, there's no way we can keep the law perfectly. If that's what's required to go to heaven, then no one's going to heaven. And so this startles the man, this answer, and he's not prepared for what he heard from Jesus because Jesus reiterates right here that the law was given not to save us, but to point us to our need for God. As we read the law of God, it's to expose our weakness and to show us that we need God in our lives. So the law has a purpose to reveal our sin to us that we might turn to God. And this is what Jesus is hoping for in this man. But this man kind of turns the question again. He's examining Jesus intellectually to see how much Jesus knows about the law which our faith is not a blind faith. It is an intellectual faith. There's enough evidence to prove that God exists and understand the gospel, right? So, so Jesus is trying to turn this question so the man doesn't know how to answer it because when we try to approach Jesus intellectually, he will expose us spiritually. And that's exactly what he's doing to this guy, right? Well, give me, the, you know, why has God allowed this to happen? And so we try to intellectualize God, which we can, and we'll find proof there but in those moments, God will expose us spiritually. What do we really believe? Why are we asking these questions? Why is this man asking that question? And he basically asked Jesus, well, how can we justify ourselves? Right? Tell me who is my neighbor. And that's his question. And this is where Jesus goes into the story of the Good Samaritan, a great story that we all know. So he tells the story of a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, which that road's about 15 miles long. And it's rocky in places and it's steep in places. It's very dangerous. And it's grown up. There are a lot of bushes and trees, a lot of places, rocks, caves for people to hide. So it wasn't uncommon for people to get mugged on the road to Jericho. And that's what happens to this man as Jesus describes it. Some thieves jump out. They take his clothes. His clothes were expensive back then. They take any money they had. They take everything they have. They beat him up and they leave him to bleed out on the side of the road. So here's the situation. Here's the crisis in the moment as Jesus describes it. Now, he tells that the clothes were taken, for one, to show that clothes were expensive, but also to show that there was no way to identify this man. If you've been in other countries before, or definitely in Jesus's time, you could tell where a person was from a lot of times by the clothes that they wore. They didn't have driver's license, or probably didn't carry wallets with any ID on them, most likely, but you could tell the region or nationality of a person by what they wore. So by removing the clothes, there's no way to tell who this person was, where he was really from. But that didn't seem to matter so much in this story. So as Jesus describes it, a priest probably had been in Jerusalem performing duties in the temple as priests were required to do. And he was making his way back to Jericho. So he'd been cleansed. He'd performed rituals, sacrifices in the temple, and he was going back home. So this priest sees this man on the side of the road. Now, part of being cleansed meant you could not touch dead bodies, right? So if he touched this man who seemed to be dead on the side of the road, then he had to go all the way back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, go back to the cleansing ceremony and delay his arrival at home. So it seemed to be inconvenient for this man. So instead of dealing with the problem, dealing with the issue, even checking on this guy, he didn't even call 911, right? He just goes around and avoids him. Then Jesus describes a Levi that comes. Now, Levi's job was to help priests in the temple. So most likely this Levi had been, again, in the presence of the temple, worshiping God, doing the rituals of the church. 
So you would think with the priest and the Levi, having that experience, just leaving that experience, would be filled with compassion and mercy and the love of God. But they weren't. They were so worried about themselves, they didn't want to be inconvenienced. They didn't want to be a good neighbor, so they avoided this man. So in this point, Jesus emphasized it wasn't the understanding wise priest. It wasn't the ruling Levi that demonstrated loving their neighbor. In fact, they demonstrated a lack of concern for their neighbor. You know, one of the things, again, we've heard so many great stories through this COVID-19 experience of Good Samaritan. So many people going above and beyond across ethnic lines, racial lines, across, across geographic lines to help and serve people they don't even know. It's been it kind of renewed my faith in, in human beings, to be honest, to see so many good things. But there's also some negative that's happening. I heard a story just the other day, a hospital, I don't remember where it was, somewhere up north, but the medical professionals, the nurses, doctors, everyone had been working. They were ending their shift, and as they went out to the parking lot to get in their cars to leave to go home after 12 hours of serving, someone had slashed all their tires. I thought, man, who in the world would do something that evil, right? So there's evil going on. There's evil in this story. These two religious people who you would think would do the right thing, chose not to. But then Jesus goes on in the story. He says, but a Samaritan passes by. Now, I know you and I have encountered some good Samaritans. Again, there's great stories. In fact, last night about 9 o'clock, Robin and I got a call from our son who lives in Dallas, and his Jeep was broken down. So he's calling about how to get some help. And there was a man who had to be passing by. And so the man stopped and had jumper cables and tried to jump Ryan's Jeep. It didn't work. It wasn't the battery. Uh, so he had to be towed. But I just thought about that. You know, in this time, we're encouraged to be distant from one another. Here's a stranger who was a good Samaritan to my son and tried to help. So those stories are all around us. And Jesus, in this story, he could have used any person to represent the one who did good. But he's He's very poignant in using a Samaritan because as he's talking to this Jewish crowd, just the mention of the name Samaritan probably caused people to gasp. I don't know if you realize it or not, but there was great prejudice between Jews and Samaritans. They had a hate-hate relationship. You know, probably you could compare it to maybe Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Maybe that's uh, an image for some of you of how, how much they disliked one another. Maybe uh, for you superhero people, uh, maybe Batman and the Joker, right? Um, or uh, Dwight Stroop and Jim, right? So you, you understand. Hopefully I've covered everybody's basis on how much Jews and Samaritans hated each other. So Jesus used a Samaritan really to get in the face of this lawyer and the Jews who were listening to say it was a Samaritan, not another Jew who helped this man, not a religious person from the temple who helped this man, but a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritan couldn't determine the nationality or the race of this man on the side of the road, but none of that mattered to him. He had an opportunity to help, and so he did. And not only did he help, but he gave. He gave out of his abundance to help this poor man who was dying on the side of the road. Jesus said he gave two denarii. One denarii was about like a one day's wage. So he gave an abundance to help this man. He poured oil and wine on his wounds, which oil and wine were very expensive as well. Not only that, he risked his life by stopping and spending time to tend to this man's wounds, put him on his donkey and take him down the road. He could have been mugged too. 
The same robbers that knocked this guy out could have come and done the same to him. So he risked not only his finances, but he risked his life to help this man. But again, none of this mattered. He just wanted to help. He took the man to Jericho. He spent a day with him helping attend to his wounds again. He had to leave and he told the innkeeper, here's, I'm going to come back. Here's the money to help cover for him. But if there's more, if he incurs more expenses, I'll come back and pay those for him. Now that was significant because in that day and time, if you owed someone and you couldn't pay them, then you were enslaved to them until you could pay off your debt. So you had to work as a slave for them until you could pay off that debt. So by this Samaritan paying, promising payment for all expenses, kept this man from becoming a slave to the innkeeper. So he went well above and beyond to help this person. And so Jesus sets this whole parable up to answer this lawyer's question. How do I inherit eternal life and who is my neighbor? So he turns the question from who is my neighbor to, to, to whom should I be a neighbor? That's a great question. That's a great question right now, especially during this time. So to, to who should I be a neighbor? The answer is everybody. Those who are in need, especially, and there's so much need right now. There's so many people suffering. So Jesus, with this story, he turns the man's question from a checklist of what I do to be a Christian to because I am a Christian, this is how I respond. You see the difference? This man was asking, what, what's the list? What, a, what boxes do I need to check to become a Christian? I'll just do those things. To really asking this question, if I am truly a believer, if I truly follow Christ, how do I respond in the time of crisis? Now, obviously, this whole story is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the answer to this man's question. Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. You can compare Jesus' life and the life of this good Samaritan. Because Jesus became nothing so that you and I could become something. He left heaven. He set all that stuff aside to become a human being, to enter into our world so that we could become children of God. That's huge, right? That is above and beyond. Definitely what we deserve. But he did this because he is love. He took on our true nature so that we could participate in his divine nature. That we can truly become children of God, co-heirs with Christ because of Jesus, the good Samaritan, giving of his abundance to us who were poor and dead. He saw us as dead and he gave us out of his abundance so we could have life. We say this all the time. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Don't forget how dead we were. We were completely dead in our sin, but Jesus in his love and compassion came to give us life. This is our message right now. It's always been our message, but now people are listening, maybe more than ever for the first time. So he came, he left heaven to give us life. He bandaged our wounds, he took us in, and he paid our price so that we don't have to become enslaved to sin. We don't have to become children of Satan, we can become children of God. We don't have to be enslaved to depression, to anxiety, to fear. We don't have to be servants of discouragement. We are filled with courage. We are encouraged. Our courage is bolstered because of the Spirit of God. This is how we deal with this virus. This is how we deal. This is the platform from which we live. We are more than conquerors, whether it's a tiny virus or sin itself. We are set free. And this story reminds us 
And so that leaves all of us with the question, so who are you in this story? Which character best represents you? Now, most of us would say, oh, I'm the good Samaritan, no doubt. I, I do a lot of good things, which is awesome, right? I don't know if, if that's true, but that, that, that's good if we do. Some of us, maybe if we were honest, we'd say, I'm more like the priest or the Levite. I'm so consumed with my problems, I don't really care about anybody else's. I'm so worried about what I'm dealing with, I've never thought about anyone else in this moment. But the truth is, until you and I see ourselves as the man on the side of the road, until you and I see ourselves as poor, who have nothing, who are dead, in need of God to clothe us in his righteousness, in need of God to, to pick us up and care for us, in need of God to make sure we don't become slaves, we don't stay slaves to our sin, to our temptations, to our struggles, until we see ourselves as a man on the side of the road, then we are not going to respond with mercy and kindness and compassion. See, that's where it starts for us. As human beings that we see that we identify more with this man on the side of the road than any other character. We need God. And now because of his offering, we can be clothed in righteousness. Our debt can be paid. Therefore, we can be givers of mercy. We can share mercy to all around. People we don't know. People we don't like. People we don't understand. Across any kind of line or barrier we've built up. Because of God. Because we know where we've come from. And what God has made us. Then we can serve others. I love this statement, right belief leads to right behavior. When you have a right belief about who you were and what God has made you, who God has made you, that will lead to right behavior. As you read the gospel, as you read the scripture, the gospel knows nothing of belief that doesn't behave. Every belief you have is lived out in action. The gospel knows nothing of a life without a transformed lifestyle. If you say you're a Christ follower, but your life is no different now than it was before you met Christ, you're not a Christ follower. The Holy Spirit changes us. It may be gradual, but it's going to be a change. There's going to be a change in us. So Jesus, then at the end of the story, asked the lawyer another question. Which one of these three was a neighbor? And the lawyer answered correctly, the man who had mercy on the guy on the side of the road. And then Jesus said, all right, that's the right answer. Now you go do the same. That's what Jesus is saying to us today. You were that guy on the side of the road, dead. I made you alive. Now be a good neighbor. <laughs> Care for one another. Be compassionate. Don't think only of yourselves. Put others' needs before your own. Wow. <laughs> Talk about a statement. In a time of crisis, to put someone else's need above your own. I think about our medical professionals. That's what they're doing. They need to be safe. They need to protect their families. But they're on the front line serving people with this virus, risking their life, risking their health. Man, what a great example of a Jesus follower. And this is what Jesus is saying. This is our challenge. To be a good Samaritan to someone this week, or however many weeks it takes, or maybe the rest of your life. Decide today that you're going to be a good Samaritan. Now understand something. Jesus did not tell this man that, that acts of mercy and kindness would save him. 
Well, he's pointing out is because we've been saved, because we've been rescued, our default is acts of kindness. In the midst of crisis, the way we respond because of Jesus in our life is kindness and mercy and compassion. And so I want to challenge you again, just like the lady that prayed for me the other day. When you encounter these people that come to your house to deliver your food, when they meet you at the curb, when you go to the restaurant, and I hope you're shopping locally. When you encounter people in the grocery store or Lowe's, Home Depot, six feet apart, somewhere down the aisle, why not just stop and say, hey, I'm Ronnie. What's your name? You mind if I pray for you? See how many people say yes. See how many people are hurting right now and looking for an answer. And you and I have it. We don't approach this from a posture of weakness. We approach this pandemic from a posture of strength. Even in our weaknesses, we are made strong because of Jesus. So I pray that you take that and let that soak in. And I pray that we show the world what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. What it means to stand as a warrior, a victorious warrior, without fear. And the world might be drawn to God as we have been praying for so long. God, open the eyes and ears of people that they might receive the truth of your gospel. There is no greater time than this. For such a time as this, we are here to share the, share the good news of Jesus Christ without fear. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you live in us. God, thank you that the, the Spirit of God lives within us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we are victorious. Yes, we have bad days and there are days that we retreat, but God, you've called us to the front lines spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Teach us to trust in you. May we be encouraged through the word of God, through the prayers of others, through the reminder that we are the church, not even the gates of hell. Satan could so use this pandemic to discourage the church, but we choose today not to let it. We choose to walk and live and breathe and communicate in victory and love. God, we stand firm. We put on the full armor of God and we fight this battle, the battle of truth, because you have opened up the world. This is our time. This is what we've asked for and this is how you have delivered. May we not neglect it or take it for granted. May we fight the good fight that the world might know that God is love and Jesus is Savior of the world. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for allowing this to happen so that the world can be strengthened and the message can be shared and people can believe. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, I just want to say this to you. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you can do that right now, right where you are. All you have to do is say, God, I know that I am a sinner and I invite you into my life. Jesus, today I claim you as the leader and forgiver of my life. 
I invite you in. And he will come in and he will rescue you. And if you've done that today, if you pray that prayer or something like it, let us know. We want to encourage you. We want to help you with next steps. But I just want you to know, it's not a preacher thing to say. It's the truth. You need Jesus. And he wants a relationship with you.